As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, welcome to the next episode of the Shamrock Live. I'm Pete Sampson. Um, not at a Fairfield in North Carolina, at a courtyard um, in Louisville. So we're sticking with the Marriott properties here on this uh, preview live room. Um, as you, if you, anybody has been on here before, um, you know you can hop in the queue, and I will call you to the stage, and you can ask a question that way, or you can post a question in the chat. We can talk about whatever you guys want. As far as Notre Dame football goes, I'm actually kind of working on, I was down here early. I got into Louisville on Thursday night and spent Friday morning setting up the Notre Dame locker room for a story that I'm working on tomorrow. So jerseys, helmets, uh, saw sort of the accoutrements that go with being the head coach at Notre Dame in terms of an equipment locker for Marcus Freeman and everything that the equipment staff moves around on a weekly basis. So um, that should be a cool story next week, but uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, and Bobby L., thanks for the uh, happy belated 55th birthday. I really appreciate that. Going to the queue, Tommy F., I'm going to call you to the stage, and then David F. will be next. But uh, Tommy F., uh, you are up first on the Shamrock Live. Go ahead with your question. Hello. Hey. Hey, thanks for having me. Um Definitely. Just curious with the, uh, you know, Tobias Merriweather's push off in the fourth quarter against Duke and just, you know, seeing him, his performance against Duke, especially compared to uh, Rico Flores, just curious, like, what we should watch out for with, with Merriweather in this upcoming game. The first thing I would, I would watch out for is just, like, how many snaps he gets. Um, you know, are they going to continue to force that issue to kind of help him come along, you know, when he's – it's be honest, he's sputtered quite a bit so far this season. You had the push off, you had the drop. There was a, an alignment issue earlier in the game. You know, it does go back to some of the stuff we saw in training camp, where you know maybe he'd miss a play in the tempo drill where it's just running on air, or you know he wouldn't make the competitive catches that Notre Dame needs him to make. So, with Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greyhouse back, I will be interested to sort of see how if if those reps drop. And those go more to to Thomas, you know. Maybe if they go more to Flores, Colsey is out, so it's not like they're loaded at wide receiver. But 
I mean, six games into the season, they've given Tobias a lot more opportunities to sort of get right than I would have expected based on the production. You know, so far this season, I believe he leads the wide receivers in snaps played. Let me pull this up. I know he did last week. Yeah, he leads the wide receivers in snaps played. And in fact, the only skill position player that has more snaps than Tobias at this point is Mitchell Evans, even though Mitchell Evans missed the game. But Tobias is number one at receivers, has more reps than any of the running backs as well, and any of the tight ends other than Mitchell Evans. So, you know, at some point, you know, does Notre Dame sort of pull back on the reps because their production isn't there? Yeah, to have a receiver with a, a target catch percentage of under 50%, which means he catches la- less than half the balls thrown at him by Sam Hartman, especially when. Chris Tyree, Jaden Greyhouse are up over 80%. Flores, I think, is around 60, and Jaden Thomas is around 70. So I would just watch to see the reps. I don't I don't think there's going to be a lot to look for in terms of you know production or plays or of that nature, but just how many reps he gets is going to be most interesting to me. All right, next up, we're going to go to William M. I'm going to call you next to the stage on the Shamrock Live. Go ahead with your question. So I was at the the game in Durham this past uh this past Saturday, mm-hmm. and when estimate you know broke free for that thirty-yard touchdown at the end, the the feeling that I had was like I would put that up there with us winning the. I was at also at the Pitt game in two thousand twelve, that triple overtime okay. game. Yep, it was an incredible, <laughs> an incredible experience. And so then you know to have to have Freeman uh, later say that estimate should have gone down. Um, I definitely understood. I understood the logic behind what Freeman was saying, but just like the, the feeling that that run gave the fan base, I I almost wish that Freeman had recognized (laughs) how important that was. (laughs) Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Uh, So I just, if you have any more thoughts, I I think you might've already written about this, but um, I just wanted to, to mention that, and I think others probably feel uh, similar. That play, I feel like definitely was, um, there was like a bit of catharsis from the week earlier, um, just kind of like a desperate need for something to feel good about after the week earlier. And I mean, you think about some of the crazy games, whether it be the pick game in 2012 that you mentioned, or Michigan State in 2006. Somebody mentioned like maybe Michigan State in 2002, I think Willingham's first year, there was a crazy comeback there. Uh, with Arnaz battle, but um, in terms of Freeman's decision, I still don't really understand it. Um, I understand, I guess I understand it like in a lab, if these weren't college players, but professionals, if um, you know, the emotions of the moment didn't matter, but I, I mean, they do, they do matter. Spencer Schrader has not been overly efficient with his field goals to date. So that matters, you know, relying on, you know, your special teams operation and get a clean snap off and a good hold down when you have a new holder um, that you just replaced uh, going with Bryce McPherson, like that matters opposed to just letting Audrey Gessame go in and score the touchdown. It's not, and I've, I'm sure I've written this, but like you know, Riley Leonard is a good quarterback, but we're not talking about Patrick Mahomes. We're talking about a guy that had thrown two touchdown passes in four games before Notre Dame. So it was not a dynamic pass game that Notre Dame was going to have to defend um, with not a whole lot of time left on the clock. So I don't, I don't understand the desire to kick a field goal. I understand the, the need to be ready to kick a field goal. And I sort of thought that when Freeman first said it, 
what he meant was, you know, SMA goes down basically at the two and a half yard line. It's an extra point, boom, game over. Schrader's perfect extra points. But when you watch sort of the the video that Notre Dame put out with the coach's headset, which I thought was was brilliantly done, it almost sounds like Freeman would have been fine if Estime had just run, to, cut back to his right and fallen down at the 30 and they kick the field goal right there. So I, and that, that seems nuts to me. So I don't really have a great answer about why Freeman saw it the way that he saw it. Um, it does not add up to me in terms of the likelihood of that field goal going in versus Audrick Estime just running in a straight line into the end zone. And then, you know, you got your two-point conversion, which they converted no problem. I think it was a strange approach. It, it felt like, I understand analytics is sort of to take some of the emotions and snap judgments out of it. But in that moment, I felt like the emotions drove the, should drive the whole thing. Not just because of the comeback in the game, but because of what happened the week before. You know, all due respect, I think, you know, the emotions of the fan base probably come third, fourth, fifth, sixth in this list. But there certainly is a, a bounce from that too, if you're a fan, because you got like very rarely do you have what amounted to almost a walk off touchdown. That happens every few years for Notre Dame. I realize it happened two weeks in a row. I thought that certainly the, it, it let the fan base sort of reset after Ohio State and kind of move on to something else. And it's like I realize Freeman again not thinking about that in that moment, but there is value to that. So, all right, next up, I'm going to go to Andrew R. Andrew R. waiting for you to pop up here on the stage, here on the Shamrock Live. We'll see if technology is in our favor again. Just wanted to ask real quick. You see, you know, obviously you're you're there at every game. Mm-hmm. What would you like to see this weekend in terms of feeling like this team can hang with and beat USC and maybe run the table? I mean, there have been some great moments over the last couple of weeks. That the defense has played really well in spots outside of a couple drives, but I'll, I'm not looking at the last couple of weeks and thinking, "Boy, we can hang 35 or 40 on USC," which I feel like is a real, a real chance that we're going to need to do that to to beat USC. So I'm just curious what you would like to see this week, this weekend, in terms of just moving forward. You know, uh, maybe running the table, but just mm-hmm. USC. You know, next weekend. I'm totally with you on the you have to show an ability to score points that they, they have not come close to the last couple of weeks. Because I, I don't as as much as I do like Notre Dame's defense and I think that it has made good on some of the, the preseason good vibes that the group had, that's a big gap between Duke and even Ohio State and what USC is doing offensively. I need to see a more complete game from Jared Parker. You know, Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greyhouse playing significant roles would help. I don't know how realistic that is with wide receivers and hamstring injuries because those usually can they can linger a little bit. I don't think suddenly you're going to see, you know, a new Rico Flores or a new Tobias Merriweather. They're they're still sort of in a developmental phase, but um, you know, could it be a half dozen snaps for Eli Raritan? You know, because I, I do think if if you could put Notre Dame into thirteen personnel, but it's Evans stays and Raritan instead of Evans stays and Sherwood, that's a significant difference in terms of the firepower they might have out there. That's probably unrealistic in Raritan's first game in a, in a year. Notre Dame is going to have to show an ability to score more um, than it has the last couple of weeks for me to feel comfortable picking them to beat USC a week from now. You know, maybe just the, 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 
run game snapping back into form a little bit more. It's it, the rush efficiency efficiency metrics that I track. Uh, Nurim has dropped each every Power Five team. It's gotten worse uh, week over week, and I don't know if that has anything to do with teams are sort of finding out what Jared Parker likes to do with the run game. I mean, they're still ranked 15th nationally in yards per carry at 5.49. I mean, 12 rushing touchdowns is solid. They don't run it a ton, like, you know, 40 carries a game. But the efficiency that Notre Dame has played with and on the ground has has fallen off. They need to pick that back up. So I would, I would like to see not only Estime put up you know, his usual 100 yards, but you know, more Jeremiah Love getting to the perimeter. Like, can there can there be more creativity on the outside run game than what we've seen so far where the only way to get to the outsides if two guards are pulling, you know, to get you there. They, I think they're just going to need to do more than just that against USC. And I realize USC's run defense is, is pretty poor, as is their defense overall. But I just would like to see Notre Dame get back to being more creative on the ground and I think Jeremiah Love can do a lot of that, whether it's one back, two back. He's just a different type of athlete than what Notre Dame has at that position, uh, whether it be Ford, Price, or Payne. Uh, certainly different than Estime as well. So that would be one thing. That's probably the most realistic thing I think that you could expect to see tomorrow night. Because I just think asking Jaden Thomas, Jaden Greathouse, Eli Raritan all look, look great in game one after either missing last week or missing the entire season. Probably kind of a big ask, but I don't think it's too much much to ask to see the run game just be a little bit more creative than what it has been the last couple of weeks. All right, next up, we're going to go to Patrick T. And then after Patrick T, uh, it would be David F. But Patrick T, you are on the stage on the Shamrock Live. Go ahead with your question. Hey, Pete, appreciate it. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. But uh, going back to the, the video they released this week, uh, which was pretty awesome, and seeing all the coaches and how they co- – how they feel comfortable around each other. I guess my question is, or more of a point, Benjamin Morrison is probably one of the best players I've seen since probably Wusu Kormoa or mm-hmm. Jalen Smith. Just the importance of Coach Mickey and, and his bond with Marcus Freeman, if you could go into that. Yeah, it's, I think with Mike Mickens, um, you know, their bond goes back to high school at Wayne Micken's wife, Jessica, actually also attended Wayne with Marcus and Mike. So she will tell you that it's like it's the three of them together, not just uh, Mike and Marcus. But I think that like Micken speaks Freeman's language and has Freeman's interests at heart as an assistant in a way that it would be impossible really for anybody else on the staff to have. So I think that matters a lot. I think that the development at corner has been really good with Morrison you know what? You know Cam Hart has gotten better. Um, you know we'll see about Jaden Mickey down the road, but you know they feel good about Christian Gray and what's happening there. Um, you know Micah Bell is a little bit more developmental, and then recruiting has been good at that position in 2024 as well. So if you're a head coach like Marcus Freeman, especially if you're a young head coach and maybe you're not as sure of yourself as you would be if you'd been head coach for 25, 30 years. Having guys that you don't have to think at all about um, in terms of, all right, this guy got my back or not. I think there's a lot of value to that. Not that other coaches on the staff don't have Marcus's back, but it's just different uh, with somebody that you go back to high school with. And I think that's what, you know, the value is with Mickens in terms of that relationship. But 
that would not be very valuable if he wasn't a good coach and a good recruiter. And he checks both of those boxes as well. So I don't know if the defensive staff has, you know, as much camaraderie as the offensive staff, just because I, I think the, the personalities at the top of that with Jared Parker, you know, younger, less experienced, probably more open to collaboration than, you know, I'm not saying Al Golden is not, but Al Golden sort of, he's seen some things um, and he knows what a, you know, when to counter punch, when to adjust, how to adapt on the fly, um, which, look, I mean, Notre defense since he's been here, I think has played winning football in what, like 18 out of 19 games, if my math is correctly. Like USC last year is probably the only one where you wouldn't say that. So I think just sort of to your point about Mickens and Freeman, that, that sort of unquestioned loyalty has real value if you're Marcus. All right, next up, I'm going to go to David F. David F., you are on stage on the Shamrock Live. Go ahead with your question. Hi, Pete. Thanks for uh, doing this. Hey, yeah. I have a question in regards to the defense. They played really well this year. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. But their tackling last week in the Duke game was uh, borderline terrible. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I know I know they got five uh, defensive backs in most of the time, but I think we need to get Jack Kaiser on the field more. I think he's one of the better tacklers on the team. I just wanted what your thoughts were on that. Thanks. One, I 100% that Jack Kaiser is one of the best tacklers on the team. Um, and if you look at sort of pro football focuses stats, um, I believe that Jack Kaiser's missed tackle rate is probably around, I think it's around like 3%. Yeah, J.D. Bertrand is, I think, around 20%. Let me pull it up. Yeah, Jack Kaiser's 3.1% missed tackles. That is tops among the guys who play regularly on defense. Um, you know, and the best tacklers on the team by this metric would be Kaiser 1, Jean-Baptiste 2, Mills 3, Harper 4, Cross 5. And then you get down to some regulars who struggle. Like Morrison is actually the worst tackler on the team among the regulars who play. You know, and then I would say like Maris Leofau would be the next starter um, up in terms of guys who are struggling with tacklings. But I, I actually asked Marcus Freeland about tackling on Thursday because it feels like they're they're just not crisp or clean with that in a way that they should be, especially with a defensive head coach. Freeman said, "Look, you you can't." tackle full speed in the um you know midseason because you can't you know run down your your own players but it is kind of one of those things where whether it's angles or how to wrap up or what you know are you getting your your helmet on the right side of the player you're trying to tackle like all of that matters uh and that's but i'm with you it's like from a tackling point of view it just frankly it just doesn't feel like Notre Dame's tackling is where it needs to be um i think morrison missed two really bad tackles last week uh and those those showed up it's kind of one of those things where you can't drill it too much during the week full speed because of the wear and tear but they do need to do more of it based on you know just sort of the results to date because it it has not been good enough and like did it burn them last week not really um against usc Yes, that probably will. I mean, even tomorrow night against Louisville, I think that as much as I think Louisville is a bit of a mystery um, sitting here at 5-0, and I do think their running back uh, and their wide receivers are all good players, and they can make Notre Dame miss tackles if Notre Dame's not on their stuff. All right, next up I'm going to call Tim H. To the stage, Tim H., you are up next on the Shamrock Live. Hey, Pete, how Tim. are you? Thanks for uh Great, my how are question. you? I'm doing well, thanks. Down here in Raleigh land, so gotten to see a lot of oh, uh, 
gotten to see a lot of uh, Fighting Irish Downers. It's been a fantastic. Yeah, I spent a lot of time at the Ingus Bar in the last. Uh, there you last go. Week. Not a bad place. And hopefully, you no. had a nice big uh, ribeye there. Yeah, I did. I did. It was delicious. Good. Good. Well, two quick questions. Uh, a little concerned about um, obviously Ohio State and now with Duke, uh, defense has been stout. Are you starting to see, or have the coaches mentioned any um, fatigue? Uh, whether it be in practice and you think about them flying back late each time as well, mm-hmm. uh, other than Ohio State. And then secondly, because of that, do you see Louisville being a possible uh, trap game? So those are my two questions for you. So in terms of how much uh, wear and tear I've seen, like that, I can't answer that because I don't get to go to practices. It is a story that I'm working on for next week. There's a, a sports science hire that Notre Dame made earlier this calendar year and it was for the intent of John Weigel is his name. Um, and it was the intent of like basically taking, doing a better job of taking all the data that Norton gets, capturing it and then interpreting it. So Freeman can adjust practice plans and drills accordingly. Um, so he's not grinding them into the ground. And I'm curious to sit down and, and do that interview on Monday because there are limits to that, right? Like, if you're getting back at three or four in the morning, like, are you, are you really ever going to feel good about just sort of how healthy or rested or refreshed you are? I, I don't know if you ever, you ever would. So this being the third night game in three weeks and the followed by the fourth night game in four weeks, I believe, and I believe I was looking at the Notre Dame campus calendar yesterday. And I believe midterms are next week when Notre Dame is prepping for a, for a USC that's like on top of, you know, all the extra stuff you're already doing. Like that is not, not an ideal situation. So I'm not really sure how, um, how you manage that. Um, Cause the players have to, um, I mean, you got to put in the work, you know, it's, it's, there's kind of no way around that. You need to double check the, the midterms. It sort of leaves you in a, in a tough spot as far as, um, you know, staying fresh and, and sort of keeping it together. And it's like, as I'm looking at the registrar, uh, fall break actually starts on October 19th. So I think that means that midterms will be after USC. So that's going to be an interesting story to do next week because as Marcus Freeman adjusts practices, how many periods you have, like I talked to some players about it this week, like he'll take periods that used to be sort of, you know, thud or like half speed and now he'll just have them be walked through to save the players' legs even more. Um, I, I even go back to stuff that I saw in training camp where, you would have uh, recruiting assistants and staffers waiting outside the Guggen golf carts to take players to their cars, like not that far away, but like they were, they were trying to make every, every step sort of matter and like keep the players off their legs. So the midterm thing, I need to do a little bit more research on that. Cause I think I've, it looks like I correct myself from earlier that midterm break starts on October 14th, which is the day of the USC game. And usually final or midterms are the week before midterm break naturally, um, which would put that in the middle of USC preparation, which could be very difficult. All right, I'm going to go to Kevin M. instead. Uh, Kevin M., you're next. Hey, Pete, good afternoon. Hope you're doing well. Um, something I've been thinking about with, with Freeman and his staff you know, over the past year and a half of football is that you know, regardless of how in-game coaching has been, it's sometimes very strong, it sometimes had its lapses, it's really felt like this as a you know relatively young staff and an inexperienced head coach have done a very good job from a upfront game plan point of view. You know, right away from last year's Ohio State game, 
you know, while it was a, you know, very thin margin of error, um, the margin for error, rather, those guys had a game plan that could have worked. And in a lot of other big games, they've had game plans that could have worked as recently as the Ohio State game. And really last week was the last time that I felt that the staff didn't have an amazing game plan. It felt like they didn't respond appropriately when things were going on. It almost felt like they weren't ready for Duke's defensive line uh, against Mike Elko, who is an experienced coach, but a new head coach. So I'm curious if you could speak to, you know, how newer, younger staffs, you know, develop game plans. It seems like these guys are pretty well prepared, but just curious how you feel and your experience seeing other staffs, you know, get ready for these games. Is this a common thing for new or younger staffs? Is this something that comes into its own a little bit more? Um, just curious if you could talk on that. I mean, it's an interesting question because I think a little bit of it depends on the roster, you know, what you have to work with. And I, I would agree with your sentiment about the Ohio State game last year. I thought Notre Dame had essentially one very, very, very narrow path to victory. And for almost three full quarters, they were on that path. You know, this year's Ohio State game, I feel like they had much more, uh, you know, variety and diversity in their game plan. You know, and it, I didn't like the two fourth down calls that had Hartman running the ball at all. But the other parts I thought made a lot of sense. I liked when at NC State, when they started slow, they had a real good counterpunch to that um, via Jared Parker to grab control of that game. But I also agree with you, Duke was, it just felt like Mike Elko was like a page ahead of Jared Parker on, on the call sheet constantly. And Parker never really got caught up. He talked a little bit about that during the week where it was a good defense and he just, he couldn't get it going and he had to learn from that. But I, I think overall it's been positive. You know, I, I think in terms of, you know, the peculiarities based on your roster and the matchup, I go back to, um, you know, the 2018 game against Michigan where um, Notre Dame opened the season at home with that win. Brandon Wimbush was the quarterback at the time. Uh, and if you remember that season, things went sideways in a hurry for him you know, where he, by Wake Forest, Ian Book was starting. But that game plan was unique because basically this Chip Long was the offensive coordinator at the time. They, they sort of had, they scripted an entire half for Brandon Wimbush. So he almost just had to memorize the plays. And then if you remember the second half when they had to, when Michigan adjusted and Notre Dame had to adjust back, like Notre Dame couldn't do anything offensively. So, you know, the ability to sort of adjust on the fly, it doesn't just depend on the coach. It depends on the players to be able to take what the coach says and implement it. I think that's why Al Golden has had so much success this year adjusting as he goes is because the guys doing the adjusting on the field, Bertrand, Kais, Hart, Mills, Cross, they all have been around for a long time and have a high football IQ, particularly Bertrand, Kaiser, and Leofau. So I think Notre Dame, is you're seeing the benefits of having a smart staff and an old roster in some spots. What I would like to see is Parker and Hartman be able to sort of compare notes a little bit more and adjust on the fly uh, in a way that they did against NC State. They couldn't against Duke. Duke sort of just had Parker's number with the blitz packages and the pressures. You're going to have to be able to adjust on the fly a lot more as the season goes on. Because I, And one thing that I'm interested to sort of see tomorrow night is like, okay, did Duke have a great game plan or did they just have so much tape of what Notre Dame's offense is under Jared Parker that they had the most complete scouting report of Notre Dame uh, and Notre Dame didn't adjust enough to kind of counter that. Um, 
Louisville has some good coaches, but you know what Parker shows tomorrow night or Saturday night in terms of his ability to adjust on the fly, I think is going to probably going to have be a big factor in terms of how Notre Dame plays against USC. Um, you know whether they have a chance to put up enough points to win that game. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, that was it for the questions from the queue. If you've got one and you want to jump in and ask it on Shamrock Live, you can do that. I'll call you to the stage. Um, while we wait on that, I will go through the chat. Jacob P. wants to know if I was able to hit up Whiskey Row. Not yet, but that's what Friday night is for. Richard F. wants to know how much of a difference do you think the receivers being back will make, being Jaden Greyhouse and Jaden Thomas? I, it sort of depends on how healthy they are. I do think Jaden Thomas has a chance to make a huge difference if he's back to almost full health or full health because that lets you rotate on the outside. Like I think your slot receiver, which is Great House and Tyree, you're already rotating with the second tight end in Holden Stays and maybe a little bit of Eli Raritan. But Thomas on the outside, that takes snaps off. Merriweather, that takes that could take snaps off. Uh, Flores um, and certainly his football IQ inability to, to understand what Hartman is trying to do at all times to read coverages is the highest of that position. All right. Patrick Kay wants to know how many Notre Dame fans are we expecting in Louisville on Saturday going down for the game and some horse racing at Keeneland should be a fun weekend. That's, I don't know. It's a good question. I, I don't really remember there being a, a huge Notre Dame fan turnout in 2019 when Notre Dame was down here. Not that it was like there was an absence of green in the stands, I would think for Louisville being undefeated, just getting into the top 25, there's a lot of energy around Brom being here in his first season, as there was for Satterfield, but not in the way that it is the city uh, feels about Brom right now. I could see it being a pretty hostile environment and sort of how Notre Dame adjusts to that after some of the pre-snap issues that they had last weekend could be a significant part of the game in terms of what happens or what doesn't. Kent L. wants to know, now that the season is halfway over, would like to get a better understanding of who might be playing their last six games for Notre Dame. Besides Hartman and Alt, who do I need to appreciate before they are gone? I would say take some time uh, to savor Audrick Estime. I don't know what where his mind is at, but running backs typically leave after three years or at least after two seasons that are super productive, which he's on his way for. 
I think when the season started, I thought that Blake Fisher would probably be clicking at a little bit higher level than he has been. They often talk about those tackles together, like we have two first-round picks at tackle, but I don't think Blake Fisher has played at an incredibly high level this year, so I sort of remains to be seen on that one. You know, defensively, those three linebackers and Bertrand Kaiser and and Leofau, um, you know, I believe Kaiser could come back. Uh, I'm not sure that he will, but, you know, and then I'm trying to get other guys that, you know, would be juniors, like, you know, Howard Cross could could return. Chris Tyree could return on offense, but I'm not, I'm not sure where the their heads are at. I also, you know, let's be honest in 2023, um, the NIL opportunities to, to be a starting or potential star Notre Dame football player are probably better than being a practice squad player in the NFL. So can Notre Dame take advantage of that? Even though they'd only have one year left, they'd have a ton of experience. I think that would be, um, that would be significant um, and, and probably, as I'm talking out loud here, a good story to write down the road. Ben S. wants to know, Pete, I saw Notre Dame open up as a pick against USC, and now the line is minus two. Do you agree? I think so, because it's like if it was a neutral field, and probably you'd pick them now. Notre Dame played a really poor game offensively at USC last year, and I say that knowing that Drew Pine probably played his best game, but you know they had the fourth down stop and the Mitchell-Palooza package. It just felt like Notre Dame could not keep up with USC offensively at a time when I'm not sure if USC's defense is really any better than it was last year. And I mean, let's, if you're getting picked apart by Drew Pine in the past game, I'm not sure what thing, how it's going to look when Sam Hartman is a quarterback. So feels like a game where Notre Dame should be favored, but I think we had a question earlier about like, Hey, what, what do you want to see on Saturday night? That would make you feel better about sending pressure or getting in Hartman's face. Some of those receivers not making plays. I mean, Tobias Merriweather almost had one last week at Duke on that first series, but I need to see some more of that because I think Notre Dame, for how much offensive skilled talent they have, they're not like whip smart, efficient in putting together 12 play, 13 play drives. They still need chunk plays to be productive. I mean, I think back to, I guess it would be the 2020 team with Ian Book in his fifth year. And you felt like if that team needed to put together a 20 play, 137 yard drive that they could actually do it because they were so old on the offensive line and a quarterback. This group, I just don't feel like has that level of efficiency. So give me some more chunk plays tomorrow night. That would make me feel better about USC, uh, Notre Dame's chances. That would make me feel better about Notre Dame being minus two early in the week. Joe T wants to know, haven't seen much of Antonio Carter or even Clarence Lewis the past two games. How are they fitting into defensive game plans? I think for Clarence Lewis, he's sort of been stung a little bit by the fact that Thomas Harper has played really well. They're both nickels. Harper has been outstanding. I kind of have a hard time arguing for Clarence Lewis to get more snaps, even though he he has helped in some spots. Antonio Carter, do you play him more over Ramon Henderson, who I, I would have a hard time arguing that Henderson needs those snaps and, and Carter shouldn't get a chance there. Nathan L. wants to know, on the one hand, run Kirby out of town for a bad fake punt call after his mismanagement of Justin Fields, and that was after he'd already been to a title game. What's the proper level of patience with Marcus? I think that Notre Dame is sort of at that proper level. You know, it's not a – I don't think there are many fans that are like, get this guy out of here. I think that Marcus's embrace of Notre Dame and Notre Dame's embrace of him is legit and genuine and won't be undone by some really poor 
end of game management against Ohio State and a frankly a questionable strategy against Duke as well. I do think, and I think I wrote this in my column post Ohio State, like or at least said it on the independent or the podcast to do with Matt Fortuna. If the Ohio State game felt like kind of like the end of the Freeman honeymoon for good, um, where there's a little bit of a like a leery side eye about like, all right, what's what the heck's going on here? You know, is this guy got it all together? And you know, and Freeman has talked pretty openly about mistakes that he's made, the learning that he's got to do, how he'll be a better coach next year than he is right now, how he's a better coach now than he was last year. And I, I take all that at face value, but you can't have another end of Ohio State game situation this year or next year or the year after that, because then it sort of labels you as a coach that just can't handle end of game situations very well. So I think it's a situation where you should have patience with them, like the recruiting, the embrace of Notre Dame, all of that is legit. But if you're, it's like, if you're going to screw up in a game, you have to at least learn from it. I do think last year, the big screw up was not taking a quarterback in the transfer portal and sort of deferring to your offense coordinator who felt like you could win with Tyler Buckner. It was a mistake. Did not make the same mistake again, went out and got Sam Hartman. So Maybe in this off in this off season or even on the bye week, Freeman can sort of give an accounting of like, all right, I need to know more about how we got there and how this will never happen again. Because if you're going to make mistakes, like at least learn from them, and then I think that then people can respect that. Ben S, you have to score the touchdown there. I understand the ideology behind the field goal, but too many things can go wrong. SMA did the right thing. I totally agree with the end of uh, Duke game scenario, as Daniel K does as well. I have a hard time understanding these are not, you know, the opposing quarterback is not Patrick Mahomes and the opposing kicker is not Justin Tucker, uh, assuming it was a field goal situation, which it wasn't. So that just seemed very, very strange to me. Craig R. Pete, do you get the feeling that Notre Dame needs to not only win Saturday night versus Louisville, but look good doing so, especially on offense, if they're going to have a legitimate shot of knocking off USC? Yes and no. I mean, no, no, in the sense that like college football is a very week to week proposition just because Notre Dame looks great on Saturday night offensively doesn't mean they'll, they will look great against USC, but to be fair, and I think it sort of gets to your question a little bit, Craig, like they haven't looked great offensively the last two weeks. If you do that for a third straight time, that's kind of a trend. Doesn't mean that trend will continue next week, but I do think, you know, you go back to the 2020 season with Brian Kelly and the Pittsburgh game came around, I think, end of September, early October. And Kelly's point was, we really have to cut it loose against Pittsburgh just to sort of prove to ourselves that we can do it. So when Clemson comes around, we're ready to go. I don't know if the same thing will apply here because Notre Dame already has cut it loose against, at least against NC State. But it would certainly make you feel better if you did it against Louisville and you showed a little bit more of a consistency there too. Yeah, it doesn't guarantee anything against USC, but I think it would at least make the uh, the players feel better about where things are going. Um, let's see, what else we got? Questions in the joke or from the queue? Uh, Dylan S. Dylan S. I called you. You're on stage here on the Sharemark Live. Go ahead with your question. Hey Pete, uh, first time calling in. I uh, so the season we've only had two people or two players go over 100 yards in a game, both coming from tight ends. Yeah. Uh, do you think? Of the wide receivers on the roster, who has the best opportunity to be that guy that can break that 100-yard mark, in your opinion? It is a bizarre situation. that they. I'm going to have to spend some time uh, before the game and figure out 
the last 100-yard receiver because off the top of my head, I'm not sure who it is. It sounds strange to say that Tobias Merriweather have the best chance, but I could see him having a 75-yard catch and a 40-yard catch in a game and having you know two catches for 115 yards. If that math works out, just because of how he's played and the routes that he runs and the speed that he has, but certainly the consistency in the hands have not been there in a way that would make you put a whole lot of money on it. I would say earlier in the year, I thought, you know, maybe Great House would have a chance, but he's rotating with Tyree. So the op- the um, sort of opportunities are not there a whole lot. So this sounds really strange to predict Tobias Merriweather to be the receiver most likely to go over but 100 yards. But it sort of feels that way to me a little bit, just based on the routes that he runs and how he's used in the offense. And, and look, Notre Dame just doesn't have a whole lot of options at the position right now. And, you know, our Great House and Thomas, 100% healthy to cut it loose on some deep routes. I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, maybe you could have Tyree if sort of one of those shovel pass jet sweep type things count. Um, that goes for 60, 65 yards, something like that could happen. We'll see. Let's see if I scroll down the next question. Uh, Brent B. Hey, Pete, I guess my mic stopped working, so I asked my question here. Before the season, you wrote that Freeman wanted to get Angeli and or Minchie meaningful snaps to evaluate if they had dip in the portal again to replace Hartman. It seems like there hasn't been much of a chance for the staff to do this. Do you sense it's a concern? I don't know. I haven't really had a chance to ask Freeman about uh, Minchie and Angeli. I don't know how they will structure bye week practices, if those will be sort of like auditions for both of those, because it's not like Sam Hartman needs more work. I think that's probably a really good question for the end of October or the beginning of November, certainly coming out of the bye week to ask like, all right, was that the time when you had to like, all right, can these guys do it or not? And if they, if they can't, we got to know because we can't go to college station to open the 2024 season and, and wonder like, do we have a quarterback or not? I don't think there's a concern yet in the sense of like, I don't think Notre Dame staff looks at the backup quarterback and thinks like, all right, no chance here. We have to go get the next quarterback. But I think with the success of Hartman, it's something that you have to at least explore and keep an eye out for. But as I've said on on podcasts before, like those COVID years are going to be going away pretty soon. And, you know, the ability to just go out and find these transfer players to patch holes in your roster, especially for Notre Dame where you're not taking undergrads. That's tricky. That's complicated. But I do think, like, I'll be curious to hear from Freeman if sort of the, these bi-week practices give the staff a chance to get a, a real evaluation. KCB, there was a lot of criticism being leveled, levied against the offense in the past two weeks. How much of that had to do with the quality defenses at Ohio State and Duke versus poor scheme or execution of the Irish offense? I would say the Ohio State game plan actually was pretty good. I thought they executed it well except for those two fourth downs, which were obviously very, very critical. But I like what Parker tried to do there, the variety of the run game, not just with SMA, but with the two-back stuff. I like how prepared they were for Ohio State to sort of take away the top of the offense and pick them apart underneath with Mitchell Evans a lot. Um, I like how they picked up pressure. So it's weird. Even though they only scored 14 points against Ohio State and scored 21 against Duke, I thought they played way better against Ohio State than they did against Duke. Duke, to me, was poor scheme and poor execution. Like, I think that they failed on both counts. I realized Duke had something to do with that, with the pressures uh, and how they tried to bring them from, I think, the weak side of formations. They did a really nice job of creating free runners uh, into Sam Hartman, and Notre Dame did a poor job of picking them up. But um, 
I think if you're if you're going to be critical about one of one of those game plans over another, I would say the Duke one fair game. Notre Dame did a poor job. Ohio State, even though they scored 14 points, I thought they did a nice job of leaning into a game plan that was like a little bit slower, but had a lot of good variety in terms of the run game and how it was uh, how it was put together. I'm going to scroll through here to see if we've got any more questions. Connor B says, any thoughts on how different or better the offense would, would be if it had landed Andy Ludwig, Utah's offensive coordinator? That is an interesting question because I, I think you've sort of seen, if you're on Notre Dame message boards, and no judgment if you are, there's like, hey, Utah's offense is terrible. You guys wanted Andy Ludwig. Like, Utah's basically playing their third or fourth quarterback, you know, sort of like if Notre Dame put Chase Ketterer in a game, like how would the offense look? Probably not that great. I think you could make an argument reasonably that Utah knew it was probably not going to have Cam Rising at starting quarterback when the season started and should have had a better plan than what it turns out they've had. Would the offense look better or worse? I think against Duke, it probably would have been better because Ludwig would have a more of an Al Golden encyclopedia of like, if they do this, I do that. And if when I do that, when they do this 2.0, I do that 2.0. Whereas I think Parker is, is learning as he goes a little bit more than Ludwig ever would be, just based on the experience there. But I think in terms of the personnel usage, it would almost be exactly the same. I think that they would run a lot of 12 personnel. I think that they would pound the ball inside with Audric Estime. I think the tight ends would get the ball a lot in the past game. And I think there'd be some deep shot plays down the field. I just think that. On top of that, Ludwig would have a, a much more uh, extensive library of in-game adjustments that he can go to, similar to Al Golden than what Jared Parker does. If you've got a question, you can hop in the queue here as we wrap up. If not, the last question. Oh, there we got one there. Uh, Michael B., I'm going to call you to the stage. You are next up on the Shamrock Live. Yeah, Michael Pete, B. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the uh, Notre Dame run game. To me, it just kind of stale. Like They're mm-hmm. running a lot of sort of inside zone stuff and it actually feels like when they try to get outside sweep type stuff it actually works really well at least from what i've seen so i just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that yeah i'm with you the run game felt like it got stale last week um at duke we asked jared parker about it on tuesday night and he said the plan was to go with a lot of inside zone stuff because of how duke was defending it which didn't make a ton of sense to me because if you were actually adjusting to how Duke was playing it. I'm not sure I would stick with whatever you were trying with the inside zone. That makes sense. But I'm with you. I, I want to see that two back stuff that they did against Ohio state be a little bit more regular. You know, I think the outside zone with polar, or you know, I guess when, when they pull guards as well, you could have some success there. I mean, I even liked, it may have been the, I don't know. I don't think it was the 30 yard TD run, but there was a play where they actually pulled, Rico Flores, a receiver plus a guard, and Duke had a hard time fitting that play. So there was a little, there was some creativity there. But I, I'm with you. I just like jet sweeps, getting to the perimeter. They tried um, sort of like a almost like a play action handoff to an up back, and then pitching it out to Great House and Flores. I know that was in the playbook quite a bit against Ohio State. They didn't run it very much, but. I know talking to people around the program, that was something they worked to install during the week. So I'm with you. There's, there's, there was a little bit of staleness that crept in last week. It wasn't productive. And it's like on top of that, like the two biggest run plays of the game were a fake punt, which is not really a run play. 
And Audrick Estime's game winning touchdown, which the head coach was like just trying to center the ball. So it didn't feel like the run game was sort of a evolving plan as last week played out. And that's that I think sort of gets back to a younger offense coordinator who's not all that experienced trying to figure it out as he goes. Um, so we'll, we'll see what lessons got learned against Duke that may can help them against, against Louisville and USC. All right. Yeah. William Evans chimes in the last hundred yard game was styles against Oklahoma state. That's what I thought it was. It's just hard for me to believe they didn't have a single hundred year, a hundred yard wide receiver all of last season. But then you look at some of the box scores and I think there were games where the quarterback threw for less than a hundred yards. So it's, it's pretty wild. Mark L wants to know what is going on with all the pre-play penalties, procedure, formation, motion, can't afford giving back five yards multiple times a game. Yes. And the coaching staff would agree with you on that one. I didn't really get to the bottom of like, is Duke sort of simulating the snap to throw off Zeke Carell last week? You know, when he was moving the ball before the snap, you know, aligning offsides is just, I don't know, like unforgivable is too dramatic to say, but I don't understand how that can happen in a college football game. I get jumping offsides, but just lining up offsides doesn't make any sense. That's something that where Freeman and the staff really have to get to the bottom of that. And then, you know, there are other ones like the field goal that I felt like the Billy Shroth are just getting in the stance and they whistled that for uh, a legal or a a motion penalty pre-snap. So that seems like it should be a very easy fix for Notre Dame. We'll see what that looks like tomorrow night because it's going to be another hostile environment. They need to get that cleaned up, um, not just for USC, but I think even for Louisville. Jim M makes a point. If they all line open holes, the run game would work inside. I agree with you. They, and they sure as hell didn't open up a whole lot of holes last week. I thought it was a poor game by not just Carell, but also Spindler and Coogan. They really struggled to be efficient uh, there. All right. Uh, one more question from the queue. Jacob K. I'm going to try to call you to the stage here on the Shamrock Live. It works. Jacob K. You're on the Shamrock Live. Go ahead with your question. Hey, Pete. Thanks. Uh, the question yeah. I have for you now. So now we're halfway through Marcus Freeman's second year. When you look at it, obviously off the field, you know, everyone loves him. He's great for the university, great for the team. Everyone's a big fan on the field. When you look at his performance, how much of what you've seen do you think is who he is as a coach? Because we've talked, you know, about trestle ball and like that's how he grew mm-hmm. up versus how much is things he's still working to improve on. So obviously things like the um, 10 men on the field, that that's something that yeah. you hope is something he improves on, but something like, you know, wanting to go down and kick the field goal as opposed to scoring the touchdown. Is that just who he is as a coach? If that makes sense. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Uh, I'm not sure I have a, a real clear answer for you on that one. It would be an interesting conversation to have with him in the summer when I do a one-on-one with him, usually like in June or July. But I remember before his first season asking about all the different scenarios that pop up in a game and how you could ever be prepared for them as a first-year head coach when they're coming at you left, right, up, down. And he's like, you, you really, he believed that you could study them and be prepared for them. I would argue that the first year and a half bared out the fact that you have to live through them and then remember how that felt. It's hard to imagine how you are going to feel in a a down and distance in a particular game against a particular opponent. So I think mostly the going down for your the the field goal at the end of the Duke game, the way that played out the way he thought it was going to play out, I would put that in the learning category. Do I think 
he is ever going to be kind of an air raid, chuck it 40 times a game head coach? No. I think that would fall into a much fitter, good-looking Jim Trestle, where those that's just sort of who he is. That's how he grew up in football. That's what he believes football should be, can be. I do think some of that has to do with like the culture of the school he's at, at Notre Dame. I've always found it interesting that coaches come to Notre Dame as offensive coordinators. Um, I remember Mike Denbrock, who's at LSU, and talked about this. Jared Parker's referenced this. Like, there's something about the place of Notre Dame that demands you have like a run-first offense. I can appreciate that, not just because of the the weather, but just because of like what Notre Dame is built around. Um, built around great offensive lines. Built around good tight ends. That good running backs. So that makes sense to me. Um, but I think. Pretty much any in-game situation, like a singular situation, whether it be the end of the Ohio State game or the end of the Duke game. You know, I remember Freeman talking out the end of the first half against Oklahoma State, how Notre Dame played too quickly and scored uh, and then allowed Oklahoma State to put some points on the board before halftime that sort of gave them momentum in the second half. I think those are all sort of learn-as-you-go situations. I think Freeman has done a pretty good job learning, but it's just like, Every time you go through one situation and learn how you want to respond there and what you want to do with it, I feel like three or four more are created. You may be listening to think think of this like, well, how many years did Brian Kelly coach and he's still through at the end of the Tulsa game? Or he still handed off to Cam McDaniel at the end of the Northwestern game? And you're right. Experience doesn't mean you automatically solve all these problems and they never pop back up. So I think a difficult situation there in terms of how the volume of these situations that Freeman has to solve in-game, live, with all this pressure on him. I think he's done an okay job of it so far, but when Notre Dame promoted him, they knew there was going to be a lot of learning on the job, and that has proven to be true. So it's kind of one of the – not to say get used to it, Brian Kelly style, but, like, I think Notre Dame fans have kind of come to accept, like, there's going to be some more of these that pop up down the road. You hope that they don't cost you games, but there may be some more situations where as Freeman talks it out post-game or the next week, you're like, how could you think that? But I think that Freeman is sort of figuring that out as he goes. So, all right, we'll wrap up there on this episode of the Shamrock Live. I'll be back next week. I think I'm going to try to go a little bit earlier on uh, Friday afternoon of USC week, maybe do like an 11 a.m. show to talk through everything that's coming in that weekend. Or actually, I take that back. We'll stick with noon next week. Just got a lot going on. So, should be a fun week heading towards USC after Louisville tomorrow night. A reminder, if you like a much, much podcast, I do the independent with Matt Fortuna. That will publish um, overnight, Saturday to Sunday. And then we'll have a midweek episode, and then I'll be back with uh, Shamrock Live on Friday. So thanks again to everybody who hopped on the show. I appreciate you, and enjoy the game Saturday night when Notre Dame takes on Louisville.